Welcome to the Transit Lounge. I'm your host, Chandra. As a recovering workaholic, I want to explore how you can do more of what you love without burning out. I'm on a mission to promote true well-being, the contented state of being happy, healthy, and prosperous. Through interviews with savvy entrepreneurs, authors, and industry experts, we'll share insights, inspiration, and practical tips on how you can be CEO you in the business of your life. Let's go. Good morning, Rachel. How are you and where are you? Hi, Chandra. Um, I am in the Rip Arena. So I am in Griffith, New South Wales, and I'm awesome. Oh, that's good. That's great. The River Arena sounds just delightful. Is that like a, what does that mean? It's just an area of the state. <laughs> it sounds very pretty. Thank you. It is. <laughs> so, Rachel, I'm really looking forward to talking with you today and sharing your story and I guess uncovering your story because I know little bits about your story but I don't um, know all of the uh, intricacies and so I'm excited about delving into you know what you're doing now what you used to do how you got there because the intention of this uh, interview series is to provide some ideas and insights for anyone who's listening who perhaps is in a role, they've been in an industry for a long time, they're successful in that industry in many regards, but they're just feeling unhappy and unfulfilled in that situation and they're starting to think about doing something different and perhaps um, not just getting another job and hoping that things will be better there. And they're just starting to think, you know, there's got to be more to life or maybe they've got an idea for something that they would like to do potentially for work. Maybe they've got an idea to start their own thing, but there's a whole lot of questions that come up for them. And so I want to share lots of stories so that they've got some ideas about how other people have have done that transition, if you like, and so excited to share yours. And so maybe just to kick off, can you tell us what your your job used to be like what did you used to do and what do you do now okay so I used to prior to leaving my job and to have a baby because babies bring abundance apparently um I was a sales rep for a wholesale food company so I used to spend a lot of time in my car hence why I'm familiar with car being my office um traveling the countryside visiting businesses and um I knew moving forward that that really wasn't going to work with a new baby. So the the seeds of change had already been planted, obviously. And when I left my job to go on to maternity leave, I decided that I could not go back to what I was doing. There had to be change. Mm-hmm. And I had already started to delve into what I do today, which is scientific hand analysis um, but I needed to take that a step further and really work out if that was what was right for me I never took that on thinking that I was going to be doing that I took that on to find out more about who I was oh so interesting okay so I just want to clarify so you used yep. to be um, a sales rep uh, that's correct with a wholesale food company and now you are did you a scientific hand analyst? Analyst, that okay. is correct. <laughs> I so want to find out more about that as well. 
when you say you had the baby and you just had that realization that you couldn't go back, was that driven through the lens of, um, I've got this new baby and uh, wanting to be there for the baby and concern around workload and things like that. Like, was that your your lens as that you that was driving you to think that you couldn't go back, that you wanted something to be different? Definitely. And I knew going back into that position that I couldn't have what I needed from the job and or what I needed to be able to give my family. So because I have three older children as well. So I knew So you have four kids. I have four children, yes. Holy jamoly, you're busy. <laughs> oh, three of them have pretty grown up now. So <laughs> <I> <laughs> but, yeah, so it was a matter of, um, you know, really taking my life into my own hands and making decisions, and they aren't always easy, but saying that this was not a fit for me anymore. Yeah. And, look, it's. I think it's quite common and – Having children, I think, is one of those pivot moments in in people's lives where everything shifts and it's a reassessment in so many ways. I think that's what a lot of people have described to me. Um, and, And it forces you to really think about who you are, what's most important to you, what sort of life and lifestyle you want to be creating for yourself. And so... Uh, I, I think it can be, I imagine, very daunting, but also a really powerful time to actually make it important enough to look and review because otherwise what can happen is people just, without those catalysts, you can just keep drifting along doing something that isn't really working for you. Because how did you feel about the work that you were doing? If you've just parked the new baby situation, how, how were you feeling about what you were doing for work? Oh, it was definitely not satisfying, not soul-satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved my clients. Yeah. I, they were what kept me motivated to go and um, go to work every day. <laughs> yeah. Because they let me into a little part of their life. And it's funny because the conversations I used to have with them weren't necessarily work-related. They were more like, well, you know, what, what are your plans for the next five years? And, mm-hmm. you know, so it was always on that deeper level, yeah. um, that conversation. And, you know, you, you think, oh, you, you know, how's the family, all that sort of stuff. But they weren't your conversations. Your conversations were much deeper than that. Yeah. So it, it just gave me, my clients gave me a platform to really ask those deeper questions and, and even sit with that myself. So that was what kept me going to work, but it was the job itself was definitely not soul satisfying for me. Yeah. I wasn't making an impact. Uh-huh. Okay, so and so there was that feeling that there was um a desire to to make an impact in some way. Yeah, to do more and to add a a deeper level. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And so then uh, what led you to being a hand analyst? In fact, actually, can you just tell me, what is that? What does that mean? Okay, so the scientific hand analyst is someone who takes the information from your hands and gives it, it's information about you and then deciphers that information and then then gives that information back. So it's a non-predictive hand reading. Mm -hmm. So... It's not like palmistry, which you, you know, make predictions. It's, oh. it's actually a scientific version 
So if you have this mark, then you have this characteristic characteristic or attribute uh-huh. as opposed to, you know, you're going to meet this tall, dark, handsome man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that you clarified that because I was just about to say, oh, so it's, is it a fancy name for a palm reader? <laughs> But that would probably be quite offensive to somebody who has done all of the scientific side of things. So (laughs) sorry about that. But great for you to clarify because I have to admit, I don't think that I have heard of a scientific hand analyst. So how did you come across it? Well, funny you should ask that. I actually heard um, Ellie Brown interview my mentor on one of her podcasts. Oh, Yes, so I was like, oh, my God, I got goosebumps listening to this podcast. So instead of ignoring that, I actually took that as a sign to dig a little deeper uh-huh. in that direction. So, And that's what I did. But that's how I came across it, was listening to a podcast. How great are podcasts? I know, they're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you just can learn so much and get introduced to so many new and different things. Uh, I think in a in a really easy to consume way. Definitely, definitely. You can be going for a walk, exercising, or making the bed. You know, you, you're not limited to anywhere. Okay, so you heard this interview and wanted to dig a bit deeper. And so, so what did that lead you to? Well, initially, because of the spelling of my mentor, I was at, not able to find her online. She, oh. her name is Beth. But, you know, why would it be B-E-T-H? So she spells it B-A-E-T-H and I couldn't find anything about her. So I just, I actually looked into doing some workshops within Australia, which were all palmistry. And this is where I say to my clients, you know what, there is no wrong path because sometimes we need to try something to know that it's not a fit. Yes, and that was what palmistry was for me. It didn't give me the information I was looking for. I didn't want to predict anything about someone else. I wanted to know factual stuff that I could get from my hands. And I knew that was possible. So you did a palmistry course because you'd, you'd sort of had this little goosebumpy thing and you thought, oh, there's something I'm you know, resonating with or connecting with there. And so in Australia, you could only find the palmistry and then it's, the feedback that I guess you got for yourself was like, okay, this is one thing, but it's not my thing. Yes, that is correct. And so then what happened? So it's just, you know, the universal timing. Um, She popped up again and I was able (sighs) to do a course and, you know, I'd been off with having a baby so I didn't have all this money at my, you know, I just didn't have it there free laying around and, Everything just happened. The money was there. I committed to the course and, yeah, it was awesome. (laughs) That's so good when those things happen, isn't it, that you think, you know, uh, you couldn't have anticipated, I guess, or or planned that that was going to happen, but it just is another bit of feedback that, okay, this is the next step, whatever that is going to be. And so when you're signing up for that course and even the palmistry one, you mentioned earlier that you, you didn't have in your mind at that stage hey, this is going to be the next career phase for me. So was it just like a curiosity or a hobby or what did you think it was about or why were you doing it? 
I was doing it to find out more information about myself because uh-huh. as a woman, I felt that, you know, over the years um, I had lost myself or I got to a stage was of did I actually know who I really was yeah. to begin with? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I was searching for answers for myself. However, in doing that, I knew there were so many other women out there, you know, experiencing the same pain. And I'm like, well, you know, this is not just me that is feeling this. So maybe I can take this and help other women just get clarity about what they're here to do and why on the outside they may appear successful yet on the inside they're dying and they just feel unfulfilled. Rachel, you are speaking my language because that was very much me back in my previous career in radio and even when I pivoted into a different industry, getting to that point where there was a lot of, in some regards, external success. There were a lot of boxes ticked. But in radio, I it was really fun. And like you said, that you really enjoyed and loved your clients, but that wasn't enough to make the work satisfying on a deeper level. I think that was a similar thing for me in radio where I was getting great results. I loved the team, the people that I was working with, and it was actually lots of fun, but it just wasn't satisfying. There was just something that just felt like, is this it? And I didn't really even know where to look to try and find answers. I guess I did a few different things, but I think it's very, very common. And that's, I guess, why I do what I do and what you're you're doing is to try to find different ways to support women who maybe find themselves in that situation and are looking for something else. And sometimes they might have some clues and ideas of what, you know, the next thing might be for them. And other times they just, they don't know what's next, but they just know it's not whatever they're doing now. That's right. And with um, my process of um, doing my hand readings, it's actually a life purpose reading. So we use your fingerprints to determine what you're here to do. And I'm like, well, this happens in utero before you're even born. So the, the reason you are here is predetermined before you take your first breath okay so I'm going to play the um, role of the journalist here okay and say okay so I can hear you say that that's what's going on and that this is the life purpose is predetermined but what do you say to people who say bollocks to that Uh, I don't how can that be right I am a human being with my own free will and I can do whatever I want and change my mind. How can it be that this is pre- this is predetermined? Well, first off, they're probably not going to come to me because they're not hurting and they're not pained to find that thing that they're actually here to do. Okay, cool. Good point. <laughs> so the sceptics, there's sceptics out there. My mum is a huge sceptic. However, I'm not here to convince those people. I'm here to help the ones who are looking for the answers and you know the answers are there if we want to hear them and take them on board and run with them they are there so it's a matter of trusting in the process and be willing to let go and believe that we are these amazing creatures and we have so much to offer 
Oh, amazing. All right, we're going to dig in to to that a little bit more later, but I'm really wanting to know, uh, I guess, back to the, the transition pathway. So you, you do this, this course with your mentor. You, you're in your early 40s and decided that you couldn't go back and you're going to leave. At that point, what was your plan? What, did you have a plan about what you were going to do for work or that the hand analysis was going to be your focus? No, I, I didn't have a plan. I just knew that I had to trust that, you know, going back was the wrong decision for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's another thing that we tend not to do is not to trust our intuition. So I intuitive trust intuitively trusted that that was not the right path for me anymore and I didn't have all the answers I didn't know what it looked like but I had to trust that there was something better there for me and so you just decided I'm not returning to work and made that decision is that right I did and that was one of the most scariest decisions of my life it was oh my god you know like all the control I had over my finances, over everything was just put up in the air and yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, can I do this? And so that is, it's a big decision. It's exciting, especially when you feel like you're on the cusp of, all right, I'm choosing me and I'm believing in myself that there is something bigger and better that uh, I am either meant to be doing or that I could do. And so there's that rush of adrenaline, I guess, around that sense of possibility that pretty quickly is met with a smack of reality of like, holy crap, what am I doing and is this going to work and, and all of that um, emotional roller coaster. How did other people in your life either influence or react to your decision to, to not go back? Um, I suppose in a, in a way because I did have a newborn baby, it was accepted okay. that I, I became that stay-at-home mum image, um, even though that wasn't my image for what I was doing. Mm-hmm. But it, it served a purpose to help those who didn't understand. <laughs> so were you saying that um, I'm, I'm, your decision was to focus on family and that kind of thing or you were just saying I've decided not to return to work? Um, I think it was more I, I've decided not to return to work because it's not a fit for myself and my family. Mm-hmm. That was that was the, the crux of it really. Okay, and so then um, it was easy for people to drop into that assumption about, oh, yes, of course, she's going to be, she's got four, four kids and she's running that household and all of those easy uh, assumptions. But then what about when you started, did you start your hand analysis as a business at that point or how did you start getting it into okay this is now my alternative revenue stream from my traditional job well that's still an ongoing process uh (laughs) creating enough money to to be you know a wholly and solely business wise however it was a lot of training involved in that so I wasn't making any money to start off with I was just investing my time and energy into learning what I needed to learn. Yeah. And so one of the things that I know tends to handbrake people from making this sort of a change, whether they've got an idea of something else that they want to do or they just can't stand and can't stay doing what they've been doing, 
the thing that holds people back from making that change, one of them is the concern around finances, especially if someone is either a sole breadwinner or the major breadwinner uh, for family income. And so it sounds like you, although that was obviously going to mean that income from your job was going away, that concern about finances didn't stop you. But what part did it play at whatever stage in your change? To actually give up my position, even though I was on leave, was one of the hardest things I ever did. Was just I had that security blanket of knowing that if, you know, I didn't work out what I needed to work out, then I always had that to go back to. Mm. However, the thought of having to go back to that was so much worse than not knowing what was ahead <laughs> that I just went, I have to just do this and whatever. If I have to get a job packing shelves or making ends meet some other way, then I can do that. Yeah. But I'm not prepared to do what I was doing. Yeah. And I think it's so great that you got to that Oh, it's not so great that you got to that point and weren't, you know, not really not excited about going back. But I think that mindset of I can't see myself and I don't want to go back to that and I want to explore this other channel and I know that may take time and that there's things that I'll need to invest in so money's going out and not necessarily coming in at the same rate. But I'm prepared to, to back myself that if I needed to, I can make money other ways as I continue to grow uh, my business because I think often people use as the excuse that okay if I can't earn the same level of income that I've earned in this industry because that I've been in for 10-15 years then I shouldn't leave my job and I feel like that is just a really um, big excuse that keeps people stuck in a job that isn't serving them and when you can look at it and go okay even if this doesn't work out straight away or it takes longer I still have choices and I'm actively choosing to go this direction I think that's a really courageous move to make and one that is it shows that characteristic of courage that's going to really help you particularly if you're going into business for yourself because there's many moments that that require courage in working for yourself other than the you know the financial challenge of transitioning from the security of the regular paycheck what are any of the other challenges that you think you've come across when you look back on your time as a do you call yourself a solopreneur do you what do you say that you do I I just say I'm just being led down the path of the unknown <laughs> okay <laughs> and, and trying to create a life along the way mm-hmm. so it's I I don't tend to like to label it because I really do not know what to call myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just one of those things that you just have to sometimes, and you were saying about the money, about it's not about the money. If it was about the money, then you would have been happy doing a soul-sucking job. Yes. So it's not about the money. It's about your being in alignment with who you are. Mm. And because, like I said, as women we tend to, lose who we are we don't know when we're out of alignment yeah so it's to me it's not about the money I would do what I do for free however I still have to to live myself yes so it's one of those things where 
you know, you have to have that exchange of energy anyway. So if you're someone's coming to you for a service, then the money exchange is as important as anything else. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like, how can I not continue down this path? Because I know what the alternate route is and I don't want to go down that way. I don't want anymore. it. I don't want to go that way. I don't way. want it. Yes. And, and I think that that's awesome and I really want to encourage more more women to see that this is possible for them and it might not look like you originally think that it's going to look like and that's okay and it's you know there's not a um I guess a one-size-fits-all approach I don't I don't think so what about any of the other challenges that you have come across when you think about working for yourself compared to being an employee have there been any other uh, hurdles that you've you've faced the biggest one I think is um, like family commitment and other people expecting you to be um, in charge of, you know, the cooking, the cleaning, the, just because you work from home. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it's like what have you done all day sort of thing and you're actually trying to focus on your business as well. So because you don't physically physically leave the house, you're like expected to take care of all these other things which are not going anywhere, you know, but it's one of those things where you just have to say, no, mentally today's my day for doing my work and I don't care. Someone else can do that. Yeah, and I think that is one of the hard lessons that when you start to work for yourself and particularly if you're going to be working from home or a home office is firstly your own mindset around that and secondly, other people's mindset and being brave enough, again, so that's another courage element to make the call about actually this is a work day, this, these are my work hours and creating some really firm boundaries in your own mind first and then communicating those boundaries to others because other people have shared that you know they um, work from home and their sister her job is is as a stay-at-home mum and she would pop in in the middle of the day, you know, just come over for lunch or a cup of tea or whatever, not looking at it as, oh, um, you know, she's at work right now but just because of the physical space. So I think it is a little bit of uh, a shift for both yourself and then how you communicate that and how you honour those boundaries or not because sometimes when you are home, it's like, oh, yes, I will just throw that load of washing on or or whatever and sometimes of course you could do that as a quick little thing in between meetings or working on on bits and pieces but it can be a real distraction and a procrastination um, pit hole if you don't have some clear boundaries around your working hours and and uh, and times for sure and I've been there trust me I have been there (laughs) I think we all someone told me that they call they have a problem with um, procrastinate cleaning, <laughs> yes, uh, or procrastinate cooking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so okay, uh, so you know, dedic- whether that's setting up a dedicated space um, at home, uh, and also just telling yourself these are my work hours. Even if you start later than a traditional job might be, or you finish earlier, or you work on, on you know a different um, hourly rhythm, being clear even for yourself about what are your work hours versus home hours can potentially, I think, help with that as well. For sure. Yeah. Definitely. And so what about any other things that you wish you knew earlier? Is there anything that you think, okay, 
um, for me, as someone who works for myself, are there any skills or things that you think, oh, I wish that I'd kind of known about that sooner or that would really um, help me? I think the biggest thing we all have is trying to um, get better at our weaknesses instead of just honouring those things that we do so well. Mm-hmm. So we, like, for tech, like, I'm I'm not tech savvy, so I waste so much time trying to work stuff out and it just is over my head. I'm like, you know, I need to outsource this stuff. Yeah. So it's like. You know, don't waste your time on the things that you aren't great at. Yeah. But really concentrate your time on the things that you are great at. So it's it's like, I don't know whether it's just women or if it's human nature, it's like we need to focus on our weaknesses because everyone points them out to us or we see other people are great in one area and we're not. But we can't actually really um, embrace the areas which we are amazing so we spend all our time and energy and focus on the things that we're pretty crappy at so we tend to feel even worse about ourselves instead of really embracing those things we are great at and, you know, waste so much time and effort on all the others. So my biggest thing is don't try to be other people. Just go with who you are. Yeah. I wish I'd learned that a lot, lot sooner. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's a really great observation that, you know, we can have this tendency of obsessing over I've got to kind of be able to do it all and do it all myself, otherwise I'm failing in some way. Um, so I think that that would be a great gift, wouldn't it be, to, you know, ha- have people get over that sooner. For sure. It, it takes a lot of years of, like, you know, just bumming around really and procrastinating because we're doing all the things that we don't like and we're not great at. Yeah. Rather than focusing on how do you add the highest value in your business uh, and focus on those things and outsource the others. Uh, The outsourcing thing is an interesting one because, and again, it links back to the money question. Often people are sort of like, yes, I would love to not have to uh, do my own baz or bookkeeping, but Mm -hmm. They say the dreaded words of I can't afford um, to hire someone. And it's a bit of that loop of when you tell yourself that and you keep filling up your time with low-value tasks and activities that aren't playing to your strengths that either take you twice as long as someone who actually knows what they're doing would take to do it, um, but also take you away from doing work that probably would bring in more revenue than what it would cost you to outsource. And I think that is another thing that certainly for myself and I see with a lot of clients that I work with, that catch-22 is a really interesting game and that the sooner you can start to outsource some of those things that are not adding highest value, the sooner you can actually focus on the higher value tasks. And sometimes that's where I think, again, for myself as well as with clients, sometimes I would hang on to doing tasks because I could do them so that I didn't have time to do the bigger, scarier things that might be putting myself out there on social media or, um, you know, putting calls into people to ask about coffee catch-ups or whatever the thing was that I was kind of unconsciously avoiding. And so I think that's another thing to um, be aware of and on the lookout for. Are you procrastinating 
by hanging on to that task or is there genuinely no way that you could outsource that you know lower value task and I think every person needs to make their own decision around that one for sure and and that's you know that's an individual thing but being aware that we tend to do that is I mean that's priceless yes really just you know and being able to catch yourself out and saying hey what are you doing here um yeah that's where you've got okay I can just Find someone else to do that for me. Yes. Yeah. And it's a really great feeling when you can you know, outsource any of those um, tasks to then be able to go, okay, this is, this is me honoring my boundaries and saying I'm a business. And so whether it's hiring a, a cleaner or a bookkeeper, I often think they're the, the sort of early two um, things that I encourage people to outsource and to hire someone else to, to, to do if possible and then looking at things like tech and um, design depending on your, your skills. So I wanted to sort of delve into it a little bit about how does, how does what you do actually work? Do people meet with you face-to-face or is this an online thing? How do you actually read someone's hand? Okay, so majority of my clients I, I do initially meet them face-to-face. However, our sessions aren't face-to-face. Mm-hmm. So I do it um, over a Zoom session. So when they're on a screen, a video, I can record that. So everything that is being said is recorded. So quite often when something, a bit of information is given to us about ourselves, we tend to mentally go to the scenario and then miss the next part of the conversation that's happening oh yes that makes sense (laughs) so the recording is great so people go oh I just I don't remember that oh my god so it's just a great way of having that um, record and being able to go through and digest the information a little more Mm -hmm. I initially I send out a an ink kit so I send out uh, ink sheets and then and paper and instructions in the post, I do things old-fashioned way. Yeah. And then I get them sent back to me. I do up a report and then we book in our sessions. So I've even done this for clients in the UK and the US. So it usually takes a couple of weeks for them to actually get their kits and then they post it back to me. And from then we just schedule our, our calls in. So it's it's not a location based service Mm -hmm. we can be anywhere and still connect yeah so you send out the ink kit um people take their their own uh prints prints send them back to you and then you'll do the analysis and then do the call to to let them know what you know what what sort of things are you looking at or able to share with people so Majority of the information I actually get from your fingerprints, which the information is unique to you and doesn't change. I'm looking at my fingers right now kind of thinking, oh, I wonder what story's in there. <laughs> and from that I get life school. So your life school is the energy in which you do everything you, in your life. So your school can be um, one of love, of service, of peace or wisdom. And everyone is part of those schools, however, what we our fingerprints determine which ones we're actually really actively in Um, a life lesson so our life lesson is the thing that can actually sabotage us and 
we tend to go on um, a broken record type of thing. We keep making that same mistake and think, oh, how, how on earth did I end up here? Again? Without, <laughs> yes, without being aware of it, it's really hard to identify what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, your life purpose, so what you're actually here to do. And I'm not going to tell people, oh, you're meant to be a hairdresser or anything like that. It's, it's not a specific job vocation. It's... Um, it's where your strengths are and what your skills should be. Mm-hmm. So you could be really creative and and that's being part of your life purpose, but you're actually not using your creativity. So therefore you're not going to get the sole satisfaction in a job that where you aren't being creative. Mm. We also cover uh, gift markings. If people have gift markings and these are extra potential talent. So, They're the things that we excel at, we do so easily and we just assume everyone else can do. However, that's not the case. Um, It's like, you know, seeing someone being, you know, an acrobat and being really agile and everything like that, oh, my God, I can't do that. But that person who does that could be really bad with numbers or um, intuition or, you know, all sorts of stuff. So. It's about really pointing out what we excel at, what our gifts are, and really embracing that as opposed to just, um, you know, oh, that, that old thing. Yeah, right. And to, to back to your earlier point about as women potentially getting too caught up and distracted in focusing on the weaknesses rather than um, embracing and developing our gifts or, or strengths. Our strengths. Yeah. That's correct, yeah. yeah. Fascinating. So, so interesting. And so uh, if people want to find out more about you and potentially look into getting um, their hand reading done, how do people do that? How, how do they find you and connect with you? I have a web oh, – I don't have a web page yet. I'm in the process of doing that. However, I am on Facebook. Um, I'm under Rachel Huntley or On Purpose and Powerful is a group that I have. I a Facebook also, group? A Facebook group, yeah. Yep. And email. So Rachel Huntley, uh, Rachel.Huntley at hotmail.com. Fantastic. And I'll make sure I include links in the show notes with this episode to make it easy for people to um, connect with you and find out more. So, Rachel, as someone who's, I guess, on the other side of uh, making the, the move from being an employee into doing your own thing, do you have any final thoughts or tips for anyone who perhaps is in the early stages of, of thinking, oh, there's, there's got to be something else out there for me? Any thoughts that you would share with them? Just trust that you internally know that there's more. Don't mm-hmm. just try and make it be something that exists. It may not already exist. It may be something you have to create. And don't pigeonhole yourself. So yeah. we we tend to think, oh, you know, oh, that's a silly idea. However, I'm sure that the woman who or the inventor of Spanx was originally poo-hooed for her invention and oh, yet yeah. everyone <laughs> – and yet we all use them. <laughs> yep. And this is the thing, and I'm glad that you brought it up about the not – pigeonholing yourself as well as you know thinking that maybe it might be something that you need to create that hasn't existed previously that's what innovation is all about 
that sometimes people will look at what's next for them based only on what they've already done. So if you were to have done that, you would potentially look and go, okay, so I've been a sales rep and I've worked in the wholesale food industry. What else could I do in the, the either the, the food industry and only look into those choices or, you know, I'll, I'll stay doing sales, but I'll just sell something different. And I think that is where sometimes we really limit ourselves versus taking a much more open approach. And as you have said, I think, you know, as a common theme through this, this conversation about trusting your intuition, trusting your instinct, not second guessing and just being curious without attachment of, oh, this is definitely going to be the thing that I'm going to do next. That if there's something that might be way out of um, the, the sort of industry that someone's been working in, but they're interested in it or intrigued or they want to know more about it, just like you were with the hand reading uh, or the hand an, an analysis, I should say, you went into that with a sense of curiosity, not, oh, I'm doing this and at the other end of this course I'm going to be one and that's going to be my business, that's going to be my next phase of my career. You explored it out of curiosity and I think that the more that people can embrace that, that's where different things can open up that you may not have thought of if you only stay in a, in a kind of a linear uh, approach. For sure. And, and that's the thing. We all tend to... Um, all the things that give us joy in life, we just tend to think of as a hobby and not a skill set. However, those are the things that really make us happy. So we really need to explore things, being able to do those things for a career mm-hmm. <laughs> per se, because they're the things that really light us up and, and make everything else that's going on around us that's really crappy tolerable. Yes. So we need to really embrace that. And quite often we we just look at them as a just a you know just a little something on the side however those little somethings on the side are the things that you know like i said help you get through all the other things that are going on in your life that may not be working so well yeah but it's life experience that people put don't put enough um, weight behind just because we don't have a skill or a certificate or a qualification for something doesn't mean we're not good at it yeah, I love that. And, and I think that, as you said, exploring those things that we're drawn to and to potentially look more um, creatively about, well, it, what are the different ways that, you know, if I really enjoy writing or I really enjoy um, building things or, you know, creating something or drawing or whatever it might be, to be curious about, oh, are there opportunities for me to be able to turn this into what I do for work? We spend so much of our time generally working that, as you said, if you can have that be something that gives you joy, it just makes your whole life work and your whole life better because you're engaged in a different way and feeling like you are contributing uh, to something that actually has a deeper meaning for you. And it doesn't really matter what that thing is other than that it kind of, it lights you up, you're intrigued by it and you are you know, adding value at the highest level that you can at this stage in your life. Exactly right. I have a card that keeps popping up in my positive affirmations, which is 
your dreams are yours for a reason. And it's, it's a really a kind of saying, don't look for outside validation on your dreams because no one else understands. I, and I love, love it. <laughs> and it's so often when people are in that kind of crossroads situation, a natural tendency is to talk to our friends or our family about it. And our friends and family can love us and want the best for us, but they don't necessarily have the same aspirations as you do. And so I think looking for that outside validation can sometimes be just another trap to keep you stuck. And it's a whole you know, uh, realm of things that can sometimes happen if you've got um, challenges in your life that perhaps don't agree with the direction that you're going in um, and how you handle that. Um, so you mentioned earlier that your mum is a bit of a sceptic about um, the uh, hand analysis work. Did you know that before you sort of started going in that direction and did that influence you at all or how did you handle that? It only actually made me keep stuff from her because uh-huh. instead of her saying, oh, that's really nice, you have fun with that, she'd say, she said, oh, my God, Rachel, you're going to be like the gypsy looking into a crystal ball. <laughs> <laughs> and she'd die if she heard that. However, it's how she is. Yeah. and. I can't change her and it's not my job to change her, but I have to do what's right for me as well. And I can't be guided by what her fears for me. And I know her fears for me come from a place of love. Yeah. So it's, and that's usually what happens with family because they don't want to see you get hurt or they don't want to see you fail. They want to keep you safe. And it's taken me a long time to realize that her her fears are just coming from a place of love. Yes, and I think that when you can get to that point of realising that other people's perspectives and concerns are more a reflection of what's going on for them than about you, I think the easier it becomes for you to make decisions that are right for you because you're the only one who has to live with your choices for your whole life. And so I think the more that you can keep stepping into that that space of being the decision maker in your own life, the easier it can become. And like any decision, you know, you can consult with other people and ask for their perspective, but it doesn't mean that what they say or they think is what you should decide. And, you know, I uh, am a big believer and reference often that you are the CEO of the business of your life. And so part of the job of a CEO is to make those decisions that sometimes are not popular. But if, they're, exactly right. but if they're right for you and they're going to create um, a sustainable, growing life for you, life and work, then they're the decisions that you need to make. So thank you for sharing that. I know that sometimes talking about uh, how others reacted in our lives can be um, challenging, but I think that it's common and so I think it's great for people to have heard that, you know, they're not alone if perhaps they've got a partner or a family member that's you know thinks that they're crazy because they want to, you know, leave their well, well-paying, secure job to, to start something new that might be a bit out of the, the usual realm for them. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so, Rachel, thank you so much for sharing your story and your insights. And I think that there'll be people listening that will have hopefully got some ideas about how they could just take whatever the next step is for them, whether that's exploring a course that they might be interested in or even just starting to you know, consider that question of, well, hang on, who am I separate from 
what I do for work and to you know reclaim themselves a little bit as a great starting point uh, as they start to then look at this next career or professional life phase. So um, thank you for sharing your uh, your insights and your journey. And I, I wish you all the best for your continued business growth uh, into 2020. Thank you very much. And I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Rachel. So I hope you really enjoyed that interview with Rachel and got some great insights and ideas on how you might approach your next move. And if you want to continue this conversation, connect with other people to help you clarify what's next for you, then I'd love for you to come and join the private Facebook group, which is Career Change, Start and Grow Your Own Business come over, request to join the group. There's a couple of quick questions to answer uh, so that we know that you're a real person and I'd love to connect with you there and support you as you start to clarify and make moves towards the next phase of your work life and a work life that works for you. Have a great week.